Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Milo. It's so good to have you here with us uh, this morning. Uh, if you've not been here for the last couple of weeks, we started a new sermon last new sermon series last week called "The New Normal." So, if you're watching for if you're watching with us from home this morning, uh, we want to make sure that you know we've started a new sermon series. We're in the book of Matthew, and I asked you this question last week, and I'll ask again: Do, do you remember what normal is? Uh, because the reality is, is what we're experiencing now is is very strange. Uh, normally, when I would go to the end of my street and go to take the kids to school in the morning, like normally, it would be really difficult to turn left on Main Street. Now it's simple. It's easy. There's nobody there. I don't know why. There just doesn't seem to be anyone out on the roads. It's not the way that I remember it. I remember when normal was just trying to decide between whether you're going to sit at a booth or a table at a restaurant. Like that was the complexity of the decision. Remember when normal was uh, you wanting to help people in the office and uplift their day, so you brought a box of donuts in and set it on the conference table? Like you do that now, they're like, what are you doing? You're trying to kill all of us. You know, like it, it's just not the same as we've expected. Normal has changed. Normal is changing. It's now normal to sit behind a computer screen and interact with each other uh, in that way. It's now uh, normal to interact in very different ways, and it's now normal for us to feel isolated. It's now normal for us to feel anxiety. It's now normal for us to feel frustrated about the situation uh, that we are in, and it's normal for us to be afraid. Is that normal? And I would say no. No, it's not normal at all. And so uh, what we're doing with this sermon series is, is trying to look at some of the things that we're dealing with and the complexities of the situation that we're in. We are in the book of Matthew. And, and typically, if you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, you'll, you'll see in Matthew chapter 5 many statements on the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus teaches that start like this. They say, you have heard it said, but let me tell you. Or you have heard it said, but let me share with you. There is a new covenant, a new way. This sermon series, though, is actually out of Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4, where you see the transition into maybe some of those statements that you're more familiar with, because Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4 are chock-a-block full of cross-references of the Old Testament of where this new normal is coming from. It's setting the stage for, the foundation for, the teaching that Jesus is going to give us. And so last week we looked in Isaiah chapter 40, we talked about chaos and how we find comfort in the middle of chaos because in Isaiah chapter 40 is kind of the first half of today's sermon. Today's sermon is coming out of Matthew chapter 3, the life of John the Baptist, the one who is uh, prophesied of in Isaiah chapter 40. And so as we look at each of these connections, you're going to see a new normal of how we are supposed to be able to look at Scripture, how God was teaching us through all of time, the great story that He is telling, and that we are able to see then how He meant for it to be lived out. There's some important questions that we have to ask ourselves, important questions as we think through. This is now week 26 of us being in this COVID crisis. 26 weeks. Like, that's half of a deck of cards. Like, that's a, that's a, a long time. Like, understanding that things are, are changing, things are different. We're kind of in this new uh, situation that none of us really uh, like. But one of the things that ha has changed for me is that we have a pastor's conference call that happens every week on Wednesdays, a Zoom call. And each of us pastors are talking to each other about some of the things that our churches are struggling with. The Frontier Bats Association, that's 40 churches here in the area, uh, roughly. And 
how uh, we get on that call and just talk through some of the things. And some of the pastors who are more experienced than I am are talking about uh, crisis and how different crisis plays out in the church. Uh, so there's crisis of, of when we send uh, disaster relief to respond in the crisis of a hurricane or the crisis of an ice storm here in Buffalo or the crisis of a family fire or a crisis of a church walking through the crisis of losing their pastor or a crisis within the home of a divorce or a death uh, in the family. There's all of these things, the crisis that, that actually, uh, as we've discussed as pastors, we realize that uh, in coming out of a crisis, there are oftentimes regrets that we have of how we responded or how we behaved or how we interacted with each other. And, and when we look at those things, like what can we do about that or why is it that we respond uh, in that way? So, so let's talk first about uh, why it is that we respond that way. Why does this happen? Well, the reality is, is, is pressure, when we go through pressure, it reveals character. So if I had this morning uh, a Play-Doh in my hand and I, I, I squeeze it as tight as I can, you start to see that Play-Doh squirt out between my fingers as I apply pressure. You start to see the substance by which that is made of. You start to see what you are made of when you are going through pressure. Pressure is revealing. And in many ways, many of you are going through situations right now. You've got frustration with your kids. Uh, kids, you've got frustrations uh, with your parents. Uh, maybe you're finding that there's a level of boredom uh, that is there that shouldn't be there, or a level of anxiety that you didn't realize was there that's now starting to surface and come up. And uh, maybe there's other character flaws that you're beginning to see in yourself or your loved ones are beginning to see in you that that pressure is starting to reveal the substance of what you're made of. Maybe you're finding out that you're becoming more disciplined through this process. Maybe you're finding out that you're making good choices. Pressure is revealing. And so as we go through crisis, we're finding that to be true. So as we're going through this, as we're, as we're living this out together, 26 weeks in, are you, uh, ask yourself this question when it comes to the changes that you're seeing around you and the changes that you're seeing within your own life. And the question is this, are you being conformed or are you being transformed? Are you being conformed or being transformed? See, confirmation is when you uh, are being changed from the outside. The pressure from the outside is changing you. Transformation happens when the changes come from the inside. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 says it this way. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect world. You see, there is a pattern here. The Apostle Paul tells us, do not conform to this pattern. But there's a pattern that we're seeing in the midst of crisis. It's a pattern of fear, a pattern of anxiety, a pattern of worry about the future. And it's a pattern of making choices that we will later regret. But Jesus says in John chapter 16, when he's talking to his disciples, he said, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart for what? I have overcome this world. So God has a solution for our regrets. It's another our word. It's a word that's going to be the central focus of the passage that we read today. You're going to see it through the ministry of John the Baptist. It's one word. It's an our word and it's a simple word. It's going to dominate Matthew chapter 3 today. It's this word, repent. So we're going to trade regret for repentance. Let me say it this way. To regret is normative. To repent is transformative. To regret is normative, but to repent is transformative. 
So when we read this passage, you're going to realize, if you've looked at any of the Gospels, that all four Gospels cover the life of John the Baptist. All four Gospels cover the mission and the message that he had to share in his ministry. And you're going to see, uh, as it comes through, this word repentance is going to come through and ripple through. And when we talk about baptism, if you're familiar with baptism here in a Baptist church, we talk about uh, the ministry that he was, he was sharing and demonstrating is that it is an outward expression of an inward change. An outward expression of an inward change. I was reading a story this week about a pastor who was performing a baptism in, in a local creek that came through uh, their town, and they decided to have an outdoor baptism, invite everybody to come. And so uh, while they were there performing these baptisms, had multiple people being baptized, there was a drunk from the, the town drunk who came uh, there to see the baptism. And, and the pastor looked at him, and he said, uh, Mr., I believe that you need to find Jesus. And, and he said, do you want to find Jesus? And the drunk said, yes, uh, I want to find Jesus. So he brings him over, and he drank takes him down in the water, and he baptizes him. He brings him back up, and he says, Sir, have you found Jesus yet? And he said, No, I haven't. So, of course, what any good Baptist pastor would do, he dunked him again. He took him back down under the water. He pulled him back up, and he says, Have you found Jesus yet? And he said, Pastor, sir, no, I haven't found him. And so this third time, he takes him down in the water. He holds him underwater for close to 30 seconds. And then he brings him back up. He's gasping for the air. He looks into his eyes and kind of quietly says, Have you found Jesus. And uh, the man looked back and he said, sir, I haven't found him. Do you know where he fell in? Eventually you'll get where I'm going. The point behind that, ridiculous joke, the point behind it is baptism is a demonstration of an internal change. It's an outward expression of an internal change, a transformation that has happened in our heart. You can dunk someone in the water over and over and over again, and they will not find Jesus. It's a transformation that happens because of repentance. So if you've got your Bibles, I am in Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to read a big chunk of the passage for us here just to get started. Uh, you can just listen. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then I'm going to give you each uh, kind of component of it as we go. But here is Matthew chapter 3, the life of of John the Baptist, beginning in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice who is calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make your path straight for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptized, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, uh, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose handles I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with an unquenchable fire." Lord, we pray that your word would speak this morning. We pray that it would be an encouraging word, but at the same time, Lord, we pray that it would be a word that calls for action. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Amen. All right, if you're familiar with John the Baptist, if you've seen this passage before, like I said, uh, John the Baptist is referred to in all four of the Gospels, so we should have a pretty good connection to him. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of John the Baptist? It's, it's how he's dressed, it's how he looks, it's how he lives his life, it's how he's got a leather belt and a, and a camel hair jacket, and he eats locusts and honey. He's a weird guy. Like, he, he's, he's definitely on the fringes of society. If, if this was the 60s, you definitely would say he was a hippie at least. Maybe now you would at least say uh, he's a hipster. I don't know. He's, he's way out there. We're not sure uh, where he's coming from. But we do know what he preached. Uh, we know what he ate. We know how he dressed. But we know what he preached. He preached repentance. And, and Jesus didn't say he was a crazy person. No, Jesus spoke of him and he said he was a great man. Matthew chapter 11 says, Assuredly, I say among you, these born of women, there has not been risen one that is greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was faithful to the calling that God had for his life, even in his short-lived ministry. And out of the gate in, in John's gospel, we, you see he is pointing to the Christ. Uh, pointing to Jesus Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if you're familiar with John the Baptist, we know his extended family. We know a little bit of the story behind his extended family, that he's the second cousin of Jesus because Jesus' mother Mary and John the Baptist's mother Elizabeth were cousins. And we talk about that a lot of times at Christmas when we talk through the Christmas story, the nativity story as to how uh, Jesus came to, to this earth in the form of a baby. Uh, he is the, the son of Zacharias, who was a priest. Uh, he's in line himself because of that to join the priesthood. Uh, he would typically uh, begin that preparation at an early age and begin serving uh, in the temple or in the synagogue in his 20s and be really established in his 30s that he would have a strong role as a priest or a significant role as a priest. So he's, he's a PK, he's a priest's kid, a pastor's kid. Uh, he, he's, he's gone rogue, though. He's left Jerusalem. He's not there uh, where the priests ought to be. No, he's out in the middle of the desert. And ironically, the people of Jerusalem will come to him and see him there in the desert. We go back a little bit further. We think about his birth story. He, he, he's talked about even before the story of Jesus and how uh, he came into the world and how the angel Gabriel, how he visited Zacharias. And he said, don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. So John was filled with the Holy Spirit right from the womb. Remember when Elizabeth uh, met with Mary and, and, and John jumped inside of her. There's an excitement uh, that was in her heart. As soon as the voice of your greeting sounded my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy, Luke says in chapter 1. But when, when Gabriel comes and he talks to Zacharias, Zacharias doubted. He said, how is this possible? How can I know this? And immediately he was unable to. To speak, and he did not speak through the entire pregnancy until the day that John was born. And after she discovered uh, that he was born, they, they said they, they brought him in and asked him, they said, Well, his name will be Zacharias. He says, No. And he wrote it on a tablet. He says, No, his name will be John. And he gave this blessing. And you, my child, as he spoke, words came out of his mouth, will be called the prophet of the highest. In Luke chapter 1, verse 76. He would be a prophet of the highest. It is the way the New Testament begins, but it's actually very similar to how the Old Testament finishes. The prophet that John the Baptist would be would be a very Old Testament-like prophet. In Malachi chapter 3, the Old Testament, just a couple pages over, how it closes, it says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. 
Or Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 that we talked about last week. It says, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make way a straight path in the desert, a highway for our God. And John the Baptist, his whole ministry, his whole purpose, and being on this earth can be summed up in one word. You must, in one word, repent. Repent. And what we're getting at here as we look at this passage this morning is that God wants one thing. What God wants is repentance. Repentance. Let me read it for us again. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, circle this, underline it, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. He's a voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the paths for him. He starts his ministry. What's documented, the first words that he speaks. If you turn over one page, Matthew chapter 4, are the first weeks words that Jesus speaks when he begins his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now what does this word repent mean? It is a change of direction, a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of behavior. Repent and believe, or repent, and change the direction. If I was walking down this aisle right now, walking towards the back of the room, walking towards the camera, those of you who are, who are watching from home, and turn around and walk in the other direction, 180 degree turn, that is what repentance is, a change of direction, a change of thought, a change of heart, and a change of behavior. Repent and believe are two sides of the same coin. Repent is a turning away from sin and a turning to God. Repentance is a turning away from sin and turning to God. And turning to God is an uncomfortable message. If you were around John the Baptist this morning, you would be very uncomfortable. Not because of how he looked, not because he's an outlier from a personality standpoint, but because his message was uncomfortable to swallow. Prepare the way of the Lord, he says. Make his paths straight. He goes back to this Isaiah 40 passage that we read last week. And what is, what is common there in the, in the middle of all that was going on is that he is going to fulfill this prophecy, that he is going to be the voice in the desert calling out and preparing the way, clearing the path, flattening the road, making the king's highway for the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would be there to come. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. This is John the Baptist talking. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, no, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, are you a prophet? And he answered, no. And they said to him, who are you that I may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the path of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. You see, John was the voice the voice that was calling out. But Jesus was and is the Word. This is the way the Gospel of John opens up. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on to talk about the life and ministry of John the Baptist and how he was the voice proclaiming the Word of the Lord. You see, when it comes to what God wants, God doesn't need a Savior. He already has a Savior. What He needs is a voice to call out and prepare the way for the Savior. He needs voices, many voices to be able to call out, voices that cry out what God wants. 
So why do we react against that? Why is it difficult for humankind to do what God wants? Or why is it difficult for humankind to be able to share that message, to prepare that way? Because what God wants is repentance. But what man wants is significance. What man wants is significance. Look at verse 4. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust, wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and Judea, the whole region of Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptized, and he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with what? Circle this, mark it, underline it, Repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Why? Because what man wants is significance. See, what God calls us to and what God wants from us is repentance. But what we want is significance. See, baptism, we're a Baptist church, but baptism did not start in the Baptist church by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, For proselytes to convert to Judaism, the conversion from a a, a different uh, background or different spiritual uh, background, if they want to convert to that, first you had to be walked through and taught through uh, the scriptures by a scribe who, who would then be your rabbi and walk you through uh, this process. And then uh, you had to, be, uh, go, had to be circumcised. You had to go through circumcision. And then you were then, as a, as a demonstration, this outward demonstration of inward change, you would be immersed in the water and baptized. John the Baptist here is baptizing Jews who need to repent, to change the direction from where they're going to walk in a different way. Repent is the remission of sin, a lifestyle change. So when the Pharisees and Sadducees come to the scene, they are coming to the scene because they are coming to check up on this outlier who's starting to gather people there uh, in the desert and taking them away from uh, Jerusalem. They, they, those, those terms, those words actually mean uh, the separated ones, uh, people who are obsessed with significance. We looked last week in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, Hezekiah, the fall of Hezekiah as the king was because of his own obsession with significance. He wanted people to know who he was, how valuable he was, how strong he was, and it was the undoing of all of the kingdom because of that. And these Pharisees and Sadducees, they they are uh, coming to investigate John because they believe that they are the ones who have the keys to the kingdom. They believe that they are the ones who have the lineage of Christ. Let's not forget uh, Matthew, the, the whole purpose of what Matthew does in his gospel is he opens it up with, with the lineage to, to line up the genealogy that not only was Jesus a good man and a good teacher, that he was the lineage of King David, that he had pedigree for them to pay attention to. Matthew is establishing Christ Jesus, the Messiah, as king, which flies in the face of people who are fighting for significance. There's an adversarial relationship against John and against Jesus. Jesus says to them, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of man's dead bones and uncleanliness. 
As he is saying that to them, he is speaking to what I'm describing this morning. They, they, on the outside, they look and they have everything put together. But because they will not repent, uh, the inside is full of all of the, the unwashed things, the skeletons in the closet, all of the regrets of the mistakes made because of their unwillingness to repent, just like Hezekiah in Isaiah chapter 40. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, is what Jesus says. John says to him here, he said, God doesn't need your lineage. God doesn't need all of these things. He, he would take these rocks, and out of these rocks, he would be able to, to rise up children of Abraham. Now, as, you, as he looks at these stones here, uh, there, there's actually, when you look at this context, he's actually speaking of the Gentiles who may have been present. Not only that he could raise up the rocks, the stones on the ground. When Jesus talks to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, she, she has this back and forth. And she says, Jesus, won't even uh, dogs come and lap at the table to be able to get some scraps? Because the Gentiles were the lowest of the low. And when John looks at the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he says to them that God could raise up children of Abraham out of the stones, out of the, the rocks on the ground, the lowest of low, he's demonstrating the newness of what would Jesus would be talking about. You have heard it said, but let me tell you what the kingdom of God really is all about. And John uses this illustration. That catches my attention growing up on a farm, this, this winnowing fork separating the chaff from the grain. Now, in modern days, farmers will use a combine. They go through the field. They take all the crops off of the field. And in that, the combine separates. It's a machine that separates uh, the chaff from the grain or the barley or the wheat, whatever they're happening to go through at that time. In those days, they didn't have a combine. So what they would do, they'd go through the field. They'd stick their fork in, in all of what they have. And they'd raise it up in the air and shake it up in the air. And all the chaff and all of the dust would fall out of it. And what would be left for them was the grain that they were going to harvest. And then they would gather all the chaff and there was this winnowing fire as they, they bring it all together and burn off all of the waste. And what John the Baptist is talking about here is that God is going to separate the sinful from the righteous. Because what man wants is significance, but what God wants and wants for man is repentance. And so let's talk about thirdly what God requires what God requires then is righteousness. What God requires is righteousness. Here's the rest of the story, how Jesus fits into it. It's a beautiful thing. Look at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? Jesus replied, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this. To do what? To fulfill all righteousness. And so John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my God, who I love. With him I am well pleased. What God requires is righteousness. A little over a year ago, most of you know, many of you know, uh, a pastor here at 100 years old, Pastor Jack Will. When I read passages like this, I wish that I had his bass voice to be able to just, you know, this is my son whom I love, I'm well pleased. I, I feel like I've got this squeaky tiny voice trying to demonstrate what the voice of God would have sounded like coming uh, from the sky. This, this moment was very puzzling for John 
John the Baptist. Because, because he was preaching that, that repentance was necessary to, to cleanse sin and to turn and walk away. Repentance was for guilty, for sinful people, for those who need to repent of their sin. And here is Jesus. He is sinless. But he is there, it says, to fulfill. Jesus tells him, I'm here to fulfill all of righteousness. In the beginning of, of John, uh, uh, John's gospel, we find out that Jesus, when he comes to the earth, he comes to move into the neighborhood to make himself accessible to you and to me. Jesus came to identify with sinners. The author of Hebrew puts it this way. Hebrews puts it this way. For we do not have a high price who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet he remained without sin. You see, what we have here with the baptism of Jesus Christ is a picture, it's a snapshot of Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. And what we have here is when Jesus went down into the water, the heavens open up, it says here, above him. Access has been opened for all to pursue after God. It's a pre-picture of death, burial, and resurrection. And every time that someone is baptized, we are reminded of his death, his burial, his resurrection. And where do we hear God's voice again? It is when Jesus is on the cross. And where do you hear his voice again when Jesus ascends into heaven? And what we see here actually in a very beautiful, tangible way in just a few verses, it's, it's, it's really neat to be able to see. And we see all through Scripture, but here it's really obvious for us to be able to see, and that's the doctrine of the Trinity is here for us to see. The Father speaks... The Son is baptized, and then the Spirit ascends, or descends, excuse me, on Him like a dove. This connection to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Chapter 20, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our own image. Isaiah chapter 6, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The entire Godhead, the Trinity, is all present here in this moment. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all there and is, is signifying through the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And in a similar fashion, the entire Trinity, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, is active in the salvation of you and of me as believers in Jesus Christ. You see, the Father sent His Son. Jesus sends the Spirit. He says, the Comforter will come unto you. And then the Spirit convicts us of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, and indwells, we are the temple of God, indwells in the believer. So what God requires is righteousness. And it is exactly what God provides through His Son, Jesus Christ. Through His Son, Jesus Christ. Then what should we do? If you're looking at this passage and you're, you're just thinking, wow, that was a good story about John the Baptist. He's a he's very interesting character. Thanks for bringing that up to, to us today. I shouldn't be. That should not be our response. In Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, when the Apostle Peter shared something very similar, he says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus who you crucified. He made him Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? What is our response? Check out his response. Peter said, repent and be baptized. So that should sound familiar. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized. When we look at Matthew chapter 3 this morning, 
When we look at what God wants, repentance. Look at the difference between what God wants and what man wants. What man wants is significance. What God has done is prepared a way, prepared an option, prepared the only way, Son Jesus Christ, the only way to live a sinless life, a righteous life. What should we do? It's simple. Repent, believe, be baptized. Repent, believe, be baptized. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. As John the Baptist is sharing this, he says, the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is coming. He said, I've prepared a way. I've, I've been called to be the one to prepare a way so that there will be access to the Messiah. I've prepared the way and he is near. And Jesus will then share with us that the kingdom of heaven is all around us. It's available to each of us. So what should we do? We should repent. We should believe and be baptized. This morning in the first service, uh, Mike Flannery was here. Mike is uh, responsible for our churches, our Frontier Baptist churches, and he loves to say, he said, I know that you've accepted Christ, but you get under the water yet. <laughs> Baptism is the first step in response to obedience. When we're called to repentance, that turning around, that 180 degrees, and chasing after the gospel that's been provided for us. I use that acronym, God's only Son provides everlasting life. Are you willing to turn, repent from your wicked ways, and walk towards Him? Repent, believe, be baptized. Why would it be that we would call ourselves Christians and be unwilling to repent, believe, and be baptized? the outward expression of a transformational change that has happened inside. Maybe you have been baptized. Maybe this message isn't for you. You can close up your Bibles. You can go home. Or you look at this passage and what you needed to hear this morning was this. Repent, believe, bear fruit. John the Baptist didn't mince any of his words when it came to the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes. He said, your job is to produce fruit, to bear fruit out of that repentance that has happened. It is your responsibility, Christian, as someone who has, who has been walking in the faith, for you to come and to produce fruit, to bring others who understand what it means to be, repent, to believe, and be baptized. That is the process that, that we talked about earlier in the service of going into all the world making disciples. What should we do? Repent, believe, be baptized, Repent, believe, and bear fruit, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So this morning, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, it is a challenging word to us because it is our, our normal way is to continue to do things that create significance for ourselves and pats ourselves on the back. But you have called us to be a people of repentance you have called us away to turn our back on that and walk towards you. There are some here this morning, Lord, who need to repent and need to be baptized to demonstrate that a life change has happened. I pray, Lord, that you would give them the willingness to respond in that way. And then there's others, Lord, who were baptized years ago, and they need to, to hear the challenge, as John the Baptist gives here, is to bear fruit. Repent, believe, and bear fruit. Lord, your word speaks. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray, Lord, this morning that it would speak loud and clear and that we would be voices, voices that are preparing the way, that are conduits for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.